What's up, everybody? So I shared this in first service. I feel compelled to share it in second service. Just a life-wise update. Um, I don't know. I, I shared, I was like three or four weeks ago, I shared Emily. Emily is a teacher. Emily, raise your hands. Everybody knows you. Okay. She helps teach there. And I shared how she had the opportunity on the bus to share the gospel about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus with a little girl that had never heard that before. And uh, I think it was the last week or two weeks ago now, two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks back, she comes back. She said, I got to tell you this. So this little girl hadn't heard about Jesus, heard about Jesus, goes to her friend in her class at, at public school and recruits her. So she got her friend to talk to her parents to sign the permission slip so that she could be involved with LifeWise, which is a deal of all of itself. And this little girl comes with her the following week to LifeWise Academy. And I believe Emily and her were talking on the school bus or on the, on the, tr- on the ride back and forth about some of the stuff that they're learning. And it's really great. They have like a big idea statement that they get the kids to say all in unison. So for instance, the first lesson that I was helping, uh, it was uh, what part of the Bible is true? All of it. All of the Bible. Who said that? Yeah. Let's go. Kristen. Yeah, yeah. All of the Bible is true. So all the kids say that. So they're, they're rehearsing some of that stuff. And this little girl that had never been to LifeWise says, I don't know any of this stuff. And Emily's getting ready to like bring her up to speed. And the girl who heard the gospel the last week is like, hey, I got this. I got this. And so that little girl proceeded to tell her friend that all of the Bible is true, that the Bible is written by prophets, and it tells us about Jesus, that he loves us and he came to die for us, essentially. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I wanted you to hear that because this little girl had never heard the gospel and went from being lost to hearing the gospel, hopefully being found, and now she's an evangelist being fruitful in the kingdom. Right? Praise God. Yeah. That's, that's what we're about here. We want people found and we want them free and fruitful in the kingdom. This morning we're going to talk about how important it is to live free and to become fruitful in the kingdom as a community. We can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. And that's, that's where I want to start the message this morning. There is a powerful lie that runs deep in our culture as Americans. You and I have grown up with this. It's that rugged individualism that says, you don't need anybody, right? We don't have to program our kids. They, they kind of sort of come this way. I can do it myself. That spirit is basically what build America. I can do it myself. I can pull, pull myself up by, by bootstraps. I don't need anybody. I'm going to go settle the West. I'm going to take a wagon and my family, we're going, and I'm going to do it. It's like, hoorah, let's go, yeah, right? That's what, that's what we're told. You can be anything that you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. If you try hard enough, if you apply yourself, you can go anywhere, be anything. We celebrate this as a culture. We give our graduates books. You've probably purchased a book like this. It's a cute book. I'm not slamming it. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. It just doesn't go far enough. There's a book that we give to our graduates called, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Oh, the Places You'll Go. It's a fun little poem, but it's all about how you're in the driver's seat of your life. The places you are going to go, how you're going to choose to live, what you're going to choose to do. There's going to be some ups and downs, but hey, you're, buddy, you're, you're an individual, you're, you're going to get through it. You can do it. It's incredibly individualistic. It's very centered on us. There's no mention in the book about how God might guide and direct us, might call us to go someplace different than what we, where we want to go, do something different than what we want to do. There's, no, there's also no mention of the importance of community. It's you. 
all about you, just about you, all the places you will go. Church, do you know that there are places we can't go on our own? There are. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter if you're not even a jerk, right? Sorry, I was reading, when I was writing this, I read the whole thing, and I was like, I'm going to write the whole rest of the sermon in rhyme. <laughs> I didn't. You're welcome. I didn't do that, right? There, there are places, it doesn't matter how hard you work, doesn't matter if you're not a jerk. There are places we can't go on our own. There are places we cannot go it alone. I'm not talking about becoming a doctor here, graduating high school or college. You can do that by yourself. I'm not talking about earning bunches of money, about buying a house, getting a fence and a dog and a family and a car or a couple of cars and maybe a boat and a lake house and some big screen TVs. Again, you can do that all by yourself. I am talking about heaven. Thank you, Barb. You're tracking. So you can have, you can have a lot of stuff on your own. You can have a lot of stuff all by yourself. There are many places that we can get to in this earth all by our lonesome. If you want, you can build quite a home for yourself here. But Christian, the Lord doesn't call you to build a home here, now does he? No. The Lord calls us to a far country. He calls us to a heavenly kingdom, to, new, to a new and better home. And friend, you cannot get there on your own. You can't. As great as Dr. Seuss's books are, I want to share a different children's story with you this morning. I'll be honest, I love kids' books, especially when they're Christian. If you don't own Sally Lloyd-Jones' Jesus Storybook Bible as an adult, you need to. It, it takes the biblical theology, the overarching story of the Bible, and puts it in, in a way that a three-year-old can understand or a 50-year-old, and, and we need that. We need it simple. The gospel is simple. We make it too complex sometimes. So that's a book you need to own, and here's another one. It's called The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross by Carl Lafferton. If that doesn't sound like a children's novelist, I don't know what is, right? Lafferton. I'm going to read you the story. A very long time ago, right here in this world, not in the land far away, right here, in this world, there was a garden. And in the garden, everything was wonderful. The world was full of laughing and playing and smiling and fun. There was nothing bad ever. There was no one sad ever. And best of all, God was there. He made it all. He was in charge of it all. And he loved it all. And people could see God. And they could speak to God and just enjoy being with God. It was wonderful to live with God. But one day... The people did a terrible thing. They decided that they didn't want to do what God said. They decided they wanted a world without God in charge. God calls this sin. Sin spoils things. So sin has no place in God's wonderful garden. God said to my people, you can't live with me in my garden anymore. And he sent them outside. And to show the people that they had to stay outside, God put some warrior angels in front of the garden. And those big warrior angels were like a giant keep out sign. And things now, because of this, sometimes things were bad. And people were sometimes sad. 
But people still kept sinning because they didn't want God to be in charge. So no one could come into God's wonderful place. And God said, because of your sin, you can't come in. See, God wanted his people to remember, it is wonderful to live with him, but because of our sin, we can't come in. So he told the people to build a special building called his temple, where, we, where he would live. And in the middle of the temple was the most wonderful place in the world, because God was there. There was nothing bad, and there was nothing sp- sad in this space. It was very exciting. But then God told the people to put up a big curtain around this wonderful place. And the curtain had those pictures of the warrior angels on the front of it. And it again was like a big keep out sign. And so for hundreds of years, the temple curtain reminded the people that God said, it is wonderful for you to live with me. But because of your sin, you can't come in. And babies became grown-ups and had babies. And those babies became grown-ups and had babies. And those babies, you guessed it, they became grown-ups and they had more babies. Hundreds of summers and winters passed by and the keep-out curtain stayed in the temple. Then, one day, God the Son came to live in this world as a person. He was called Jesus Jesus always did what God said. Jesus never sinned. And Jesus visited the temple where the keep out curtain hung. Jesus knew that things were sometimes bad and things were sometimes sad. Jesus said that God had sent him to open the way back to God's wonderful place where there would be nothing bad and no one sad ever. But the people still wanted, still didn't want to let God be in charge. And so they decided to put Jesus on a cross to die. It was the most bad thing that ever happened. It was the most sad day of all time. But Jesus had a plan. He had always planned to die on the cross. What a strange plan. Why would God's son plan to die? On the cross, Jesus took our sin. All the bad things we do and all the sad things they cause, Jesus takes all of those things from us. And when he did, something amazing, astonishing, astounding happened. The curtain in the temple tore. God had ripped up the keep out sign. God's wonderful place is now open again. Because Jesus died, you and I can go in. After Jesus died, his friends put him in a tomb. They were very sad. For two days, nothing happened. Then the next morning, Jesus' friends went to his body in the tomb. But it wasn't there. A little later on, Jesus' friends were all together, not neglecting the fellowship, as we're going to get to in Hebrews here in a second. Jesus' friends were all together, and suddenly, Jesus was there with them, alive, and suddenly, his friends weren't sad anymore. They were so incredibly happy. God had brought Jesus back to life, 
so that he could live in God's wonderful place forever. And now, because of what Jesus did, he has sent everyone an invitation to come and live with him there too. He tells us, God says it is wonderful for us to live with him. Because of our sin, we can't come in. But Jesus died on the cross to take our sin. So now, all his friends get to come in. We can live with God forever. There will be nothing bad and no one sad. We will see God and speak to God and just enjoy being with God, just like he planned. It will be wonderful to live with him. And it's all because of Jesus. We will say every day, thank you, King Jesus. You are amazing. And you can start saying that today. Isn't that good? So good. So good. You see, Dr. Seuss says, oh, the places you'll go. Church, apart from God, there are many places we can go on our own. A lot of places we can go it alone. We can build buildings. We can build empires. We can build our own kingdom. We can build houses. We can build a comfortable, luxurious life for ourselves. But still, Sometimes things will be bad. Sometimes things will be sad. In this life, we can go a lot of places on our own and alone, but there is one place, the most important place, that we cannot get to ourselves. There's a giant keep-out curtain that blocks the way. Because of our sin, we can't go in to God's most wonderful place. We can't go to live with him in his presence, at least not alone, but, but with Jesus Christ, because of Jesus, we can. He made a way where there was no way, like that song we sing, makes a way when there ain't no way. That's what Jesus does. He made a way when there wasn't any way. He tore down the keep out curtain and through faith, our faith, personal faith. He says, I'll take your sin and I'll give you my righteousness. I will live the life that you could never live and I will die the death that you deserve. I will give you the honor that I earned. I will take your shame away. God will come and make a home with you. We don't need the temple anymore. He says, you will become a temple where the Holy Spirit will come and descend and take up residence in you. Jesus says, through faith in him, we get to reorder our lives. We used to not want God in charge. We now have the option through Jesus to put him back on the throne of our life. He gives us the honor and the privilege to walk once again with God as Adam and Eve walked with him in the cool of the morning. Now, this is the gospel. When we talk about the gospel, that's what it is. God saves sinners. Three words. That's it. That's what it's all about. And we love the personal side of the gospel, don't we? God saves me. We love that. Through Jesus, faith in Jesus, his death and resurrection, God saves us. He gives you and I the right to become his children, and now we can live in his wonderful place with his presence. That's awesome. As Americans, we love this part. God saves me. 
And that's true. It's true. He does save you as an individual. He does. No one else's faith is going to get you to heaven. You can't rely on your grandma's faith. You can't rely on your, on your dad or mom's faith. Nobody others, no, no one else's faith is, is going to get you the relationship with Christ that you need. You need to have your own faith. He does save you as an individual. That's true. But folks, we need to be careful not to stop there. We need to be careful not to stop there. It's true, God does save us as individuals, but we can't stop there. God saves us as individuals into a family, into a community. See, there's this growing sentimentality, especially with the younger generation, and part of it is because the church has done some not so great things in the past. So we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I hear this all the time across our culture, TV, TV shows, all of it, news, Facebook, everybody's saying, hey, I love, I love God, but man, I can't stand his church. I don't need to go to church to have a relationship with God. It's everywhere. We hear this all the time. I hear it all the time from people. I don't need the church to have a relationship with God. When I hear that, I think, isn't that such an American thing to say? I don't need the church to have a relationship with God. There's a little bit of truth in that. I'm going to pack that in a second. But I think that sentimentality reveals a whole lot more about our hearts and the selfishness that reigns in them than anything else. Now, it's true. You and I don't need to sit in a service every week to be close to the Lord. That's true. You don't need to sit in a service once a week to have a relationship with Jesus. It's also true that you don't need to enter a church building to get closer to the Lord. It doesn't matter where you're at. If you're on the Campbell's line making soup cans, if you're doing skyscraper work, it doesn't, wherever you go, God's got the whole world in his hands, right? You can be close to him wherever you go. That's true. You don't need to be in a church building to get closer to God. That's true. But friend, you and I do need the church to grow in our relationship with God, to receive all the fullness and freedom that he wants to give us and to be as fruitful as he wants us to be. Can we just corporately for a minute just repent of what I'm going to call individualistic consumerism? It has crept into our church. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. It creeps into my heart. It's this attitude where we come to church and we ask, what can you do for me? We go around, and there are a lot of great churches around, and so we have some options, and so we go this one and that one, and we say, what programs do you have for my kids here? What programs do you have here for me? And we treat it like we're going to a market. What can you do for me? Folks, that's not what God's calling us to in his church. That's consumerism, and it ain't right. The world's got enough consumers. We need contributors in God's church. And so... Let's just corporately together just say, that's stinking thinking and that's got no place here in this community. We're gonna repent of that. Well, well, you may not think you need the church. God is clear in his word that the church needs you. It needs you. Here's how I think we fall into this thinking. I think we fall into this thinking that we don't need the church because we believe that the church is a building. 
we're doing a renovation right now. We've been talking a lot about it. And there's a danger that we can start to think that as we build this building, that we're building God's church. No, that's not true. Why? Because the church is not a building. It's not a building. It's a group of people. It's a fellowship. It's an assembly of Christians. And as we mistakenly believe that the the church is a building or we think it's just a service that happens once a week, we 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 start to think that well, I don't need that. I don't I don't need I don't need that service. I don't need that building. That's a whole lot of dollars. Why why would we need that? See, that, that's not what the church is. The church is a fellowship of Christians. And we together need each other. We desperately need each other. We need you, and you need us. This is how God set it up, folks. We are better together. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 12, he says that the church is like a body. And we get this when we think about our health, don't we? Right? We get it. That we, we, we get that for a body to be healthy, all of its parts need to show up and do their part. If one of the parts decides that it doesn't need the other part, well, then the whole body suffers, doesn't it? Imagine that. Imagine one day if your eye just grew a mind of its own. and said, you know what? I can see just fine by myself. Thank you. I got this. We say, like, feet, you kind of stink, and fingers, you're always in the way. You're kind of clumsy, and your arm, like, no, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm moving out. I'm going over here, and I'm just going to see by myself. You know what? That eye is going to be able to still see by itself. But it's going to see the same thing for the rest of the days of its life, because it's got no legs to carry it and no head to turn it. It's going to be stuck, going nowhere. You see, the fact of the matter is that you and I, we may be able to receive forgiveness, to get found by Jesus as individuals. But if we choose to stay alone and neglect the fellowship, not only does the body, the church corporately suffer because you're not pulling your weight, You're not doing what God's calling you to do. Not only does the corporate body suffer, but you're going to suffer as well. You see, we need Jesus to find us and forgive us. Yes and amen to that. That's where it starts. But we also need Jesus and his bride, the church, to carry us along, to pull us forward so that we're progressing and and growing in freedom, fruitfulness. And this was all set up. I read you the the children's story because it's all set up for the text we're going to look at here together. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 speaks just to this fact. As I read it, I want you to notice the communal language. The writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians, not a solo Christian. Hebrews 10, 19, he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, community, all of you together, listen up, everybody, in a group, We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place, that wonderful place where God is. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the keep-out curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us Go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. 
and our bodies have been washed with pure water. He says, because of all of this, because of the individual gospel, because the Lord saves us from ourselves as individuals into a family, now let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but, get, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. See, we've been talking about a lot of the shifts that happen when we receive salvation. This is yet another one. Salvation shifts us from individuals going it alone into a community, into a family of faith where we belong, where we grow together into maturity as we spur one another along towards greater love, deeds of generosity and faith. Simply put, we need each other. See, you can't one another on your own. Jesus has so many statements about the one another. Love one another. Pray for one another. Carry one another's burdens. There's like 40 of those statements. You can't one another on your own, folks. This means this body needs you. We need your perspective. Without each of one, each, each of us joining in and pulling together, we won't be able to achieve or accomplish everything that God is calling us to. Without everyone doing their part, we won't be as healthy as we could be, as we need to be. We won't be as effective as God desires for us to be. Without each other, we won't be able to receive the full freedom and fruitfulness Christ died to give us. And so, as we go through this capital campaign, and we seek to improve this facility where we gather, please do not confuse the church with a building. The church is not a building. If you make this mistake in your thinking, if the church is just a building that you go to, it will become all too easy for you to start believing that your presence here doesn't matter. And that is just simply not true. It's not true. Too many people have bought the lie that the church is a building or a service that you go to where your attendance is tracked. And if the only thing that counts when you're here is that you attended then you're going to start to feel like, I don't really need that, because you don't. Thankfully, the church is not a building or a service that you go to. The church is a people that you belong to. It's a community that you're, you're meant to do life with, not just sit next to one another on a Sunday morning. You're meant to be in each other's lives, fridge friends, right? Intimately connected. I can waltz into your house, and I can go straight to your fridge and open that thing without it being weird, because we do life together because we love one another, because we're connected. Say, so, man, a family. I don't know if I want to be a part of that. My, my family ain't perfect. Neither is the church. Whose family is perfect? Nobody's family is perfect. Folks, God has people here that annoy you to make you a better Christian. You don't just get, you don't just get to cut and run from them, right? You're called to love them and give grace. It's messy, but it's a beautiful gift he gives to us. We, we grow and we progress as Christians as we commit to be in community together. This is how God makes us everything that he intends for us to be. Again, if, if you think the church is just a building or a service that you attend where your presence is only counted, nobody cares about that. So you put my name on a tally sheet. Whoop, 
right? I don't want any part of that. But what if the church is a community and a family that you belong to? They are loved. That people need to hear what God has laid on your heart. You're, you, God has a word for you to speak in other people's lives. Not just me, I'm not as the preacher. He wants all of you speaking into each other's lives, holding each other accountable, carrying each other's burdens. If that's what the church is, then your presence and participation here matters immensely. I have to ask you to forgive the metaphor here. I've used it a ton. I just can't find any better one. So it's campfire season. I want you to go in your mind. Everybody close your eyes. It's kind of going to get weird for a second. Not really. Everybody close your eyes. I want you to think about a time with your family where you were sitting around a campfire. We all have one of those memories, right? Where the kids are having fun and the leaves are changing colors and the fire's warm and it's cold, but you're close enough and it's giving off heat. You're roasting some mallows, right? You got that picture in your mind? Now, keep that picture in your mind. Keep that picture in your mind. And I want to talk to you a minute about the church. What the church is meant to be. It's like a campfire. Let me explain. When you get found by Jesus... You are set aflame with his Holy Spirit. He, he lights a fire in you to seek and save the lost, to live for a, a new and better kingdom. Because of your sin, you couldn't come in. But now, because of Jesus, you can. And God says, I'm going to make a home within you. I'm going to set some Holy Spirit fire within you. I don't need a building anymore. You will be my temple, and you will burn bright with my presence in the world. I'm going to make you a coal for the kingdom. Now, as you're thinking about that fire, imagine if you get a tongs out and you take one of those little burning embers and you do what so many people in our culture do that claim to be Christian, and you pick up that little ember and you waltz it clear outside of the fire all the way over here by itself. I don't need the church. I don't need a community to have a relationship with God. I don't need any of these people. I, I, I got it. I can read my Bible by myself. I can find a podcast. I can watch YouTube and, and watch a service online by myself. I don't need the church. You put that coal out here alone and isolated. What happens? Now let me just, you can open your eyes. I'm walking all around. You need to see this, right? Uh, <laughs> before we get into what happens to that coal, let me just tell you we have an enemy who is a wolf. Do you know how wolves hunt? They find the weakest and they get him isolated from the herd. Who do you think's behind the lie? I don't need the church. It ain't God. Now imagine you take that ember and you stick it all the way out here, all by its loathsome. What happens to that little coal? It weakens. It wanes. It gets cold might eventually go out. But the reverse is also true. Imagine if the great hound of heaven learns that one of his sheep is lost. He goes out, set, set, he leaves the 99 to go find that one. He says, hey bro, I love you. What are you doing out here? It ain't safe. Come on. Picks him up, carries him back to the fire. He takes that coal that was about to go out. He puts him in there. What happens? That coal gets fanned back into flame. Not only does that coal burn brighter, he is now a part of a, of a greater fire. And the heat from that fire and the light that that fire give, gives off, you don't even have to be a part of that fire, but you benefit from what's going on there. 
from the light that's given, from the heat that's given. You build a big enough bonfire, you, have, you, you can be far away and you can see where you're going because of that fire. Our world is lost. They don't know where they're going. They need the church to burn bright to say, listen, this is darkness. You're gonna trip and stumble. Come over here. At least come in our vicinity so we can give you some light. At least come over here. You're shivering in the cold, alone and isolated. Wolves are chomping at your feet. Get over here. Come by the warmth of the fire. Church, that is what the church is meant to be. This is what God calls us to. This is what we're talking about when we talk about our need of community. We are better together. We need each other. The Lord calls us to be a city on a hill, a lamp upon a stand that gives light and heat and warmth to everyone in its vicinity. And so whether you're talking about a God-sized renovation project, right, building a facility that we pray is not only going to bless us, but going to bless our community. We have over 30 different groups that have used our facility, some of them Christian, some of them not. Help me grow. Together, we can make a difference has been here a little bit. Um, 4-H, there's 30, 30 different ones. We want to improve this place so that we can continue to burn bright in our community. We want to share this thing with more people and make it more effective. So whether you're talking about a God-sized building project, whether you're talking about caring for the poor, caring for men and women who struggle with addiction, whether you're talking about providing meals for the sick, those who've had surgery, parents bringing new children in, you're talking about providing donuts for our fellowship time in the Connection Cafe. The reality is that none of these things can happen to their God-ordained potential unless all of us band together as a community and each and every one of us determine that we're going to pull our weight, that we're going to use the gifts that God has given us not to consume but to contribute. You see, Crossroads Church will only ever be as free and fruitful as the people who make up this community commit themselves to invest and serve in it as, the, as God calls them to do so. So I say with Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, folks, let's not neglect the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's make it our habit to regularly come together in a small group, in a gathering on Sunday morning, Throughout the week, grab a lunch or a coffee with a fellow believer. Let's make a habit of regular coming together to hear God's word, to interact with it, to challenge one another according to it, to praise his name because of the promises that are written in it, and to pour our lives out into one another's lives. Let us think of ways to encourage one another and spur one another on towards greater acts of love and good deeds. Again, Jesus writes in Matthew 5, he says, you this is where if we were Southern, it would help us. It's more of a you plural. I see y'all. Y'all. Y'all are the light of the world. You all together. Y'all are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp, he says, and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your your good deeds, all your good deeds together, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. To wrap up this morning, I just want to leave you with two questions. They're not meant to be slaps in the face. They're challenging. 
the, to me first and then to you. So I'm, I'm here with you. We're in this together, okay? So I got two questions and an application in, in light of Hebrews 10. The first question is this. When was the last time that you came into this community, into, into one of these gatherings or in a small group, having thought of or prayed beforehand what God might want to speak through you to someone else here? When was the last time that you took a little time before coming to a gathering where you asked the Lord, hey, is there anything that you would have me speak, a word of encouragement, of challenge, into someone else's life? First question. Second question. When you think about the church, Do you think more about our community in terms of what it can give to you? Or do you think more about our community in what it needs from you? As you think about our local congregation, do you think more about what it can do for you or what it needs from you and why God has you here locally? Here's the application. Let's make a shift together, corporately. This week, let's start doing this. Let us start to pray that God would show each of us individually what this community needs from each of us. Let's ask him together to reveal what our gifts are, how he's equipped us, and how others here at Crossroads would benefit if we started to use them. Let's ask the Lord to help us think of ways to spur one another along in greater acts of love and good deeds. We need you, church. We need each and every one of you, not just for the shift campaign, for that too, but for everything else that we want to do and we feel called to. If we're going to be as healthy and as effective as God wants us to be to help the lost get found and the found live free, then you are needed here. Let's bring this thing full circle. (laughs) Dr. Seuss. Oh, the places we'll go. Oh, the lives we'll see transformed as we commit to follow Jesus together. Oh, the freedom we'll receive when we gather together, having considered beforehand the ways we could spur one another on towards greater acts of love and good deeds. Oh, the places we'll go if we do not neglect gathering together. Oh, the places God will take us if we together hold tightly without wavering to the hope we individually affirm. What's that hope? Jesus saves sinners. May Christ unite us as a community of faith and increase our ability to help the lost in our community get found and the found in our community live free. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you for how good you are. Lord, that you would leave the 99 who are safe, that you would leave the 99 behind and go on search for those who are alone and isolated, the lost sheep. You would track us down, that you'd sniff us out, that you'd pick us up and you'd carry us back into the fold. Thank you for being the hound of heaven. Thank you for the the sheep that you've brought into this little fold, Lord, here in, in Henry County. 
Thank you for the number of servants that we have here. Thank you for the mentality that pervades our community. Lord, you, you've built a community here mostly of contributors. We have more contributors than we have consumers here. And that is, is something we want to praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness to this congregation. But Father, we want more. We want to be as effective and healthy as we possibly can. And so I pray that as we begin to pray, Lord, if there's some stinking thinking we need to, to repent of, if we've believed that the church is a service or the church is, is a building, I pray that you'd, you'd help us throw that out and embrace the reality that the church is a body and a family and it needs us, that we belong and we have a part to play here. And Father, as we begin to, to shift our thinking and make it align with the scriptures, I pray that you would make us aware of the gifts that you have blessed us with, each individually. I pray, Father, that you would give us initiative to start stuff, to spin stuff up and, and to just go after stuff. You don't need permission from, from my, myself or, or Wes, but if God releases you, then, then brother and sister, get after it. I pray that, that you would do that here, Lord, and we just want to thank you for the goodness that you've already blessed this church with. Lord, we love you. You're so faithful, so good to us. We want to be as healthy and as fruitful as we can be. We want to be that city on a hill. We want to be a lamp on a lamppost, a lighthouse, Lord, that gives heat and warmth and, and direction to people who are even just on the fringe. We want to see the lost get found, found live free. Do this, Lord, as we commit to not neglect the fellowship and consider how we might spur one another along towards love and good deeds. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.